Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. All right. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. I am Kieran Mulvaney, but I am not joined this week by my co-host Eric Raskin. He's on vacation, so we'll be doing things a little bit differently today. Uh, we'll be focusing almost entirely on Saturday night's six-pack of fights on Showtime and Showtime pay-per-view. And to hold my hand as we make our way through the events of Saturday night, I have a special guest, a man who is ringside at AT&T Stadium in Dallas and called some of the action, Showtime's Hall of Fame, Bow by Bow announcer, Barry Tompkins. Barry, thank you so much for putting some time aside to class up the podcast for me. Oh, please. I'm always, always glad to do that. I've always wanted to replace Eric Raskin. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he's terrified of. He'll never go on vacation yeah, again. I, I, I'm sure he is. Looking over his shoulder, even on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, normally... Eric and I always have this shtick, especially when it's, it's a long, late night. We complain about how washed we are. We would be grumbling about having to start watching boxing at 7 p.m. Eastern and not getting a chance to stop until 1 a.m. But it's actually a little hard for me to do that with you because not only did you watch all that boxing, you did a lot of it from ringside, and then you flew home to the Bay Area. So I'm really in no position to complain, really, am I? Yeah, I, I had a sleep fast last night, and I wasn't feeling very well on top of all of that, too. So I, I, I think I got to my room probably about 1.30 in the morning, and I had to get up at 4.30, and my Oof. flight was at 7.10 this morning, and uh, I got home. We had a dog sitter here at the house because my wife was out of town, too, and, and the dog sitter wasn't even awake yet. You know, in fact, the dog wasn't awake yet. You know? yeah. So, yeah, that's always the bad sign. Yeah, when you beat the dog. Yeah, that, didn't yeah. even get up to greet me. That shows how important <laughs> I am. <laughs> you know, one thing I want to ask you before we get got into like the details of the fights, I'm curious from your perspective as a broadcaster, is there any difference with? I know you were calling the non pay per view proportion on Saturday night, but is there any difference in the way you approach, say, a pay per view card? than say a Showtime Championship Boxing or a show, Showbox card in, in terms of, or, or is there a change difference in preparation or expectation or anything like that? Or is really calling a fight card, calling a fight card? Well, in the big picture, yes, calling a fight card is calling a fight card. But there is, you know, I, the, maybe the best analogy I could give you is it's, it's the difference, a normal championship fight card and as opposed to a pay-per-view fight card is the difference between the playoffs and the Super Bowl. You know, so you don't prepare any differently for the Super Bowl than you do for the playoffs, but yet it's a bigger mm -hmm. event, you right. know, and uh, and and there's a lot. Probably the biggest difference is the uh, sphincter tightness in yes. the production truck is much higher, much more uh, ranked up, raked up uh, in the in a pay-per-view fight. You know? <laughs> yes. Yes. You, you're hearing a lot more anxiety through the headphones. Oh, yes. Uh, everybody. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons is just, again, to make the analogy to the Super Bowl, uh, it, it there's so much anticipation for a pay-per-view fight, you know, because we have the total access show that goes on before right. the fight, uh, you know, and that runs on the air for a week. And then you got the press conferences televised and every, also it's all the ramp up to the fight that I think you know, creates that kind of atmosphere that a normal championship fighter or any other fight for that matter really doesn't have. I mean, then it's just kind of the day of the fight and here we go. So it's all about the anticipation, I think. But once the bell sounds or even in the way we prepare, it's very much, very much the same. In fact, I, I would tell you if I, if I was doing a club fight someplace, mm -hmm. uh, I would prepare the same way. You know, right. it's, 
you, you know, that's my job, I think. Yeah, and, and to fans who've, who've never had the opportunity to be at a big fight, and I, I always encourage them, if there's any opportunity to do it, because I would always experience as well, just sitting ringside and, and writing, there's that tension, isn't there, in the atmosphere. I always find the most amazing part, you talk about the bell ringing, it's that moment when the ring empties and all the cornermen and all the hangers on are out and it's two fighters and a referee and you're ready to go. And you can, I can almost feel the hair standing up in the back of my neck talking about it, right? It, it's that, That's something about a big fight night, isn't it? You know, absolutely, Karen. As a matter of fact, I mean, I've been lucky enough to be at virtually every major sports event in the world. I actually had that job one time. I'm going to whatever the biggest sports event of the weekend was and doing radio shows. Uh, so I've, you know, I've, as a matter of fact, I've done the Wimbledon final. I've done all of the Grand Slam of tennis. I've done the World Series. I've done the Super Bowl. I've done every major event in the world: the Olympic Games, uh, World Championships in track and field, and in gymnastics, and in swimming and diving. And uh, other than perhaps the World Cup, which I think is the biggest event in the world, there truly is nothing like a championship fight. And I'm sure you'll agree with me. I mean, yeah. you, what, what's the biggest one that you've been to? Biggest fight? I, well, I suppose in terms of build-up and fight week anticipation, it was probably Mayweather-Pacquiao. Um, but I think feel like the biggest, most exciting event that I was at was Joshua Klitschko when you got 100,000 people or 90,000 people, whatever it was, in Wembley Stadium. That was extraordinary. And and And... And sometimes I think you'll appreciate this. U.S. boxing fans don't appreciate how big a fight can be in other countries sometimes. And there were pictures of Joshua everywhere, like all, all the, the public transport. It was, it was not just on the back pages of the newspapers. It was on the front page, on the, on the build-up to it. And, yeah, that, that sort of sense of excitement is it's just like nothing else, really, I think. Absolutely. And, and as you do, I tell people, I tell anyone who will listen to me, you, you, that if you have a bucket list item and that's not on it, yeah, you're doing something wrong because there is there's absolutely nothing like a big fight. And I think, yeah. you know, what you said earlier about it's just two guys in a pair of shorts and a pair of gloves, no place to hide. Yeah. Nobody's in there helping them. You know, and I think that's part of it. And, and for me, um, like probably the biggest one I ever did was Hagger Leonard. And, uh, and I remember, I still have this, I can feel it, let alone just remember it. When, when, the, when the crowd first caught a glimpse of the fighters making their way, starting their ring walk, the roar from the crowd was, it was palpable. I mean, it wasn't just a roar that you heard with your ears. It was, you know, you could feel it. You could yeah. absolutely feel it. And I've never been around any other event where that started it and it continued. I have been around one other event where there was that kind of feeling, and that was the start of the Kentucky Derby. Oh, yes. Where yes. it's a week or two weeks of buildup for this. 90 seconds or whatever you know? it is, two minutes. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so uh, that's the only other thing that comes close for me. But boxing, it not only, it, it doesn't just begin there, it stays there throughout the fight. Yes, yes. I think one of the loudest fights that I was at actually was one of the Manny Pacquiao-Eric Morales fights. And, you know, Pacquiao's fan base was really building and Morales was still huge. And there was this Mexico-Philippine thing going on because of those guys. And I remember thinking, my God, this must be what it's like to stick your head in a jet engine for 45 minutes. Because it yeah. just, that same thing, it started loud and just stayed loud. Yeah, yeah, isn't that true? And and uh, well, the one that that 
was like that for me was Arguello prior mm. in the Orange Bowl. And there was a lot of reasons for it, you know, uh, because it was during the, the Civil War in Nicaragua and uh, a very Hispanic part of the country where the fight was in southern South Florida. Uh, and there were 60,000 people there and there were 30,000 uh, people rooting for Pacquiao and 15,000 rooting for Arguello and 15,000 hoping he got shot. You know, <laughs> right. That was the problem. You know? <laughs> And in fact, we went on the air. I might have even told you this story already, but we went on the air and they turned all the lights down because they were going to play the anthem, anthems of both the United States and Nicaragua, even though they had previously decided they weren't going to do that. So all the lights in the in the stadium at the Orange Bowl went out and there was only one light in the whole stadium on and it was on me because we went on the air. And I'm thinking to myself all the while I'm doing this, hello everybody and welcome to, you know, that kind of thing. I'm thinking to myself, I'm I'm a target. Nobody can see anybody except <laughs> me. There's going to be any shooting. I'm the one who's going to get shot. You know? And I didn't care who won the fight. <laughs> Well, fortunately, there was no danger of any of that uh, at AT&T Stadium on Saturday night, but it was no, no, the no, no. definition of a big fight in a big stadium, a wonderful place to do a fight as well. I've, I've done, a, done a few there. Uh, Errol Spence, man, uh, he entered the ring with just uh, one fight in two and a half years. And during that period, he'd had a car accident. He had a detached retina. There was that little bit of doubt about was he quite the same person? And he really very soon erased any doubts about that. It was a perhaps a fairly even start. I mean, I gave all the first four rounds to Spence, but a lot of people thought it was quite even early on. But Errol just took it over. He just started throwing punches in bunches, up close, a huge variety of punches. And he just never let up. There was that wobbly moment in the sixth round where he got rocked a couple of times, lost his mouthpiece. Um, got knocked into the into the ropes. But other than that, he was in really total control. Closed up Ugas's eye. We found out today that, unsurprisingly, Ugas' yeah. orbital bone was broken. And that's not a surprise from looking at it. Um, Lawrence Cole listening to the doctor and stopping the fight in the 10th round. So Spence moves to 28-0 with 22 KOs. Ugas drops to 27-5 and with 12 KOs. Barry, when, when Eric and I previewed the fight last week, I thought it was going to be a bit of a jab fest, to be perfectly honest with you. I thought it would be technically good, but I didn't think, I think I said it would never actually catch light. And not for the first time, I was quite wrong. Um, <laughs> no, that, I know were you was, surprised by that? I know it was the first time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 thought, I had two questions about this fight going into the fight. And one was, what does Ugas have left? And the other was, what Spence going to be like after the layoff and the surgery. Uh, and I, I, I really, I'll speak for myself, but I want to know what you thought about Ugas coming into this fight too. I didn't really give him a big chance to win, but I thought he might be able to be competitive. And the fact of the matter is I came away really impressed with Errol Spence, considering everything that, you know, went into the making of this fight and what lies ahead if he got an impressive win in this fight. Uh, I thought from top to bottom, he really did as good a job as you could possibly expect from a guy that's had that kind of layoff. In fact, if you didn't know better, you would never know he had the layoff. I'm curious what you thought about Ugas coming into the fight. Did you think he had a chance? A chance in as much as anyone has a chance. I picked Spence to win, but I picked him to win by decision. But I thought he... You know, when you look, he started his career, whatever it was, 15 and 3. And then since then, he's been 12 and 1. And that 1 was... Very close loss to, to, to Sean Porter. 
no one had done to him what Errol Spence did. And, and I didn't expect Errol to do that to him. I, I thought that Ugas would make it a tough, awkward, difficult fight that he'd try to keep Spence at range, you know, with his jab, uh, that he'd just make it awkward, that he'd hurt Spence some. I, I thought it would end up being a seven to five kind of a decision fight that, that at the end of it, you'd know that Errol had won the fight, but that there were a lot of rounds in there that would be very close that, that Ugas would have won. And I was really surprised by the way it went. And, and I suppose you could look at it and think, what was Ugas doing? You know, maybe he needed to keep him at range a little bit more, but I just don't think Spence was letting him, to be honest. You can say, oh, Ugas should have used his jab more. He could have pushed him off more. But I just think we, we saw levels here, really, that I think really highlighted, yeah, there's a lot of very good welterweights. But there are two guys who are clearly way, way ahead, uh, you know, of the rest. And, and obviously, at the end of the fight, one of those two guys, Errol Spence, called out the other one, of Terrence course. Crawford. Uh, Crawford responded on social media. We've been wanting this for an awfully, awfully long time. Um, do you think now we get to see this? And who do you think would win based on what it Spence did on Saturday? Well, based on what I saw, I think Spence would win. And yes, I do think that we could, uh, that we will see this fight now. And, you know, this is one of those fights that I think has to be made. And I, don't you agree that, that I, I truly wish we'd have seen this fight four or five years yeah. ago, but, but, uh, Spence made a believer out of me. You know, yeah. I, I honestly thought he might've tipped over the other side of the hill, you know, and not to say that he wasn't going to be good, but would he be the Earl Spence that we knew before? And I think that question got answered last night. I really do. Now, what has Crawford got left? I don't. We don't know that either. You know, I can make the same, ask the same question about about Crawford. But push to pick a winner on this day, I think Spence wins the fight. Interesting. You know, I've always been. I'm, I'm very similar to you in terms of what I saw and came away with on Saturday night. Like I've always been fairly unequivocal about thinking that Crawford would win that fight because. I've always I've been a huge Terence Crawford believer from the very beginning, really, when when he first showed up on HBO. And I've always thought that he just had more about him, more variety, more weapons. And the other thing was, I've always thought that with the exception of the Victor Postal fight, where he was happy to go the distance, Crawford's always just been meaner in the ring. He always looked like he, even if he was winning 11 rounds to nothing, he would still look for the stoppage. Whereas Errol, I always felt kind of got into a groove and coasted sometimes a little bit. And I was a bit like you, the way I thought about Errol, like he'd had some very good results, of course, over the last several years. But I thought he was very good at what he did, but didn't necessarily do as much as Crawford. And he didn't, wasn't necessarily convinced he had that killer instinct about him. Saturday night changed that. For me, I thought he showed us another side. He showed a determination to make a point um, on Saturday night that I hadn't necessarily seen from him before. And I think I would probably still favor Crawford, but Terence hasn't fought an awful lot lately. And he hasn't fought lately the, as consistent a caliber of opposition as Errol Spence. So I'm actually intrigued. I actually said last week, I thought that maybe it would be better if if Errol just scraped by because then he'd feel pressure to make the fight with Crawford. But now I think it's got everybody hyped the way he performed on Saturday night. I think people are really ready to see this fight now. I agree with you. I, you know, I, uh, I, first of all, I do think the fight will happen. And, you know, I, I say this all the time. Boxing is my profession. You know, if it came to, there are very few fights I can honestly tell you 
that if somebody said, hey, do you want to go to the fight? I would probably say, no, nah, no, nah, I don't yeah. run really too interested. That's a fight that I would pay to go see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, is a high compliment coming from me because really I, you know, I'm, I'm more of a professional at it than I am a fan of it, you know? Yes. And, uh, but that is a fight. That's a compelling fight, yes. you know? And I think that's a fight, uh, you know, as a writer or as a broadcaster, you can honestly say, I don't know who's going to win this fight. Yeah. I mean, on fight night. Yeah. I don't know who's going to win this fight. You can make a case for either guy very easily. And I'm sure it'll be that way right through the time the fight actually happens, but, and they don't come along very often. No, no, this, and, you know, and the welterweight division, of course, but such a history of great unification fights, this would be, yeah, terrific. And two, two guys who are probably in, I think most people's top four or five pound for pound as well. Add to that. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's the makings of a great fight. And there's no longer any excuse to not make this fight guys. So Go ahead and, and get her done. There's no other side of the street nonsense. That's that's and, and there's plenty of plenty of good young welterweights behind them too. Yes. So you know this fight really could get this division kickstarted. I think Absolutely. it already is with the young talent that's in yeah. the fight. But if this fight is compelling, and if it's a, the least bit compelling, there likely would be a second fight, and very likely a third fight. And then you got to start talking about guys like Boots Ennis, who I think may be the best Indeed. of all. Exactly. Exactly. All right, let's uh, quickly look at the three pay-per-view undercard fights. Uh, in the opener, Cody Crowley won a wide unanimous decision over Jose Cito Lopez in a 10-round welterweight contest. Uh, in lightweight action, Jose Valenzuela needed less than 90 seconds to dispose of Francisco Vargas, dropping him with a left hand and prompting the ref to stop it without a count. Uh, and in the co-main, also at lightweight, Isak Cruz dropped Yuria Kiskamboa four times and wobbled him a couple times more en route to a dominant Fifth round stoppage win. Did anything really leap out at you there, Barry? Yeah, well, what leaped out at me more than anything else is this is kind of a in with the young and out with the old. You know, um, all the young guys won. Uh, Cruz, I thought, I thought while I thought he was impressive in knocking knocking him down four times, I think he did get had a tendency to get a little careless once he realized he could mm. walk right through him. And so I'm not quite ready to say. Here's the future. Great. You know, um, but I obviously he did something right and knocking out a former champion. Um, Cody Crowley was impressive to me for the reason that, you know, he's normally a guy who's on the gas and is going to try to get you out of there. And he went 10 tough rounds, yeah. um, you know, against a guy who came to fight what he had left. I don't know. But early part of that fight, Lopez was doing OK. Yeah. You know, so I give Crowley a lot of a lot of credit and. Uh, in, in my book, he moves up a notch or two just based on the fact that it was just a case of go in there and wipe the guy out. Right. Yeah. And Venezuela, I mean, you know, one run knockout's a one run knockout. I realized it was one punch and it could fall into that category of, of lucky punch, but he's a young guy, had to be a great confidence booster for him. And uh, hey, he beat a former champion. So That's you know, right. let's see what goes, what happens for him. Yeah, it was interesting going in. When it's these young guys against veterans, it can go any way, right? You're like, are the veterans going to give these young guys a test and, and force them to find some things out? Or are the veterans going to be, is it going to be one fight too far for all the veterans? And I don't want to be like wise after the fact. The one I was concerned about was Valenzuela Vargas, because Vargas has been in so many wars. I was, mm -hmm. I was really worried about that. I thought that would be a blowout. And, and so it was. But Honestly, I thought Jose Cito Lopez would give Cody Crowley a much a much tougher test than he did. Um, yeah. And 
look, Gamboa made it you know, uh, into the 12th round with a, in a earlier fight with, with his Achilles gone. So I thought he might actually make it to the end against, uh, against Cruz there. But, um, you know, in the end, it was exciting, but a little one-sided. But you can't tell. That's why they fight the fights, right? I mean, yeah. I, I didn't know for certain that's, that's how it turned out. And don't you hope that a guy like Gamboa now will say, okay, that's it. I've had a great career. I would hope so. I don't know if they will, but I would hope so. I mean, I'm always very happy when, when a fighter decides to, to make a career. It was interesting. You, you wouldn't have heard it, but on the pay-per-view, you could hear the corners quite well. And Gamboa's corner was telling him after round four, he could still win this fight. And it sounds to me like he doesn't have people around him who are going to encourage him to retire necessarily. I, I wonder if Gamboa might keep going a little while longer. Josecito Lopez looked like he might be ready to, to, to call it quits. Yeah. I really hope Vargas does. Yeah. The, the, yeah, that really bothers me that a corner would encourage a guy. As a matter of fact, I think Ugas's corner probably should have stopped the fight. Yeah. A little bit earlier, too. You know, and, you know, that's not really, really, it always reminds me of, of golf caddies. You know, golf caddies always refer to they and their pro as we. Right. You know, and so, we, you know, we're on the 18th hole and we hit a seven iron, we hit it, you know, 100 yards and we, we hit an approach shot, you know, it was a, a wedge and we hit the wedge five feet and he blows the putt you know oh yeah (laughs) right we until they screw up and then it's him (laughs) you know and that's what i worry about with corners is we 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 come on we're not hurt we're okay you're not in there taking punches you know (laughs) or in the case of gamboa you haven't been knocked down 20 times in your career exactly it's yes yes brave corners and brave referees i yeah uh, exactly Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) all right let's uh, shift to the two fights you called that were on showtime before the pay-per-view um let's start with brandon lee's very comfortable unanimous uh, unanimous decision over Zachary Ochoa. You've got a couple of Brandon Lee fights now. Um, most of the time, we're seeing him. We're used to seeing him drop the hammer at some point. Get his get right. his guy out of there. This time he went the full ten. Uh, I must say, one of the things that I liked about his performance was he was very relaxed in there. And often, I think with a very young fighter, especially one who's used to getting KOs, you might see them get a bit desperate to get that KO, but. He never looked that way. He always looked very, very relaxed to me. And if he got the rounds, he got the rounds. And he seemed fine with that. That said, it did feel to me as if he could have cut the ring off more. Uh, you guys, I think, talked about how he could have gone to the body more. Um, mm. But it's very difficult to do that when you're up against the guy who was fighting the way Ochoa was. He just wasn't. He just kept moving all night. Right, I'm, right. I'm curious, having seen Brandon Lee a few times now and having called that fight on Saturday, what do you think about his progress and about his ceiling? And what does he need to work on? Well, you know, it's, I, quite frankly, I thought that prior to this fight, he was coming along at a really good pace and wasn't far away, at least from being a contender. Um, after this fight, I think there's a lot more to learn than I thought. Okay. Um, I do think he has the goods. The other thing I really think about him is he's a terrific kid. Yeah, he's he is. very smart. And he really has star quality. You know, he would be a terrific champion because he would do all the right things. Uh, And to that end, you know, I think he he is still learning and he recognizes that he's still learning. He doesn't think of himself as the complete package. And you'll never hear him say, I'm ready for a title shot right now, like every other prospect does, you know. So I think he knows, you know, I think he knows what he does well. And even more important, I think he knows what he doesn't do so well. So I think this last fight for him, 
was a learning process, you know, yeah. and it was, the, and I think he learned from it. I expect he learned from it. Yeah. Uh, he always knew, and we, we've, I've talked to him quite a lot because I, he lives out here on the West Coast. We always wind up flying on the same planes going back oh, home. Right. <laughs> so we, we've had a chance to sit and talk quite a lot. And uh, he's, he's, a, he's a student of the game. And that, again, can't be said about every fighter. In fact, I would say maybe one out of five is what you would call a student of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is. And he, and he does understand. He, I think he also understands what he needs to learn. And he does go to school on almost every fight that he's had. And I think he'll go to school on this one probably more than any other, because as you pointed out, you know, he, he generally will get the guy out of there. You know, the last fight he had, he went seven rounds. That was the furthest he'd gone prior to this one. And, uh, and he said he learned a lot from that fight. Uh, his history had always been that he, he just wants to go there and get the guy out of there. And right. more often than not, the guy's falling down when he's been hit, but now he's running into guys like the, the guy last night that, is not going to fall down what he said. That guy's never been down, and uh, and as as of this moment, still hasn't been down. So I think it was a learning process for him. I think he's maybe a little bit further away than I originally thought he might be, but I still I like him, and and yeah. that's not a unanimous feeling amongst. I don't know how you feel about him, but that's I'm not a unanimous feeling about a lot of our peers. Interesting, because I'm quite high on him. I think. I'm also quite taken by, look, we've had him on the podcast a few times. He's fantastic interview. Isn't he? Um, and, and that's, you know, that certainly definitely, uh, I think, affects the perception of it, that, that he's obviously a smart guy, like he said. Um, but yeah, I like, I feel like, to me, I, it was interesting what you just said there, because I, he does strike me as that kind of guy who will take a step back and willingly so, uh, you know, and, and sometimes with these kids who are knocking people over, that 10 round decision, you, you get more out of it than a whole bunch of, of two round knockouts together. Um, yeah, the one thing I did wonder, and I didn't want to sort of drop this question on you, whether he might benefit from a more experienced trainer or whether he'd be good with his dad going forward. I'm, I'm always in two minds about father-son combinations on the corner. Yeah, as, yeah. as am I. Um, you know... It's difficult because it's like talking about one of your kids. Yeah. But, um, and I like his father. And I think his father has schooled him well and certainly raised him well. Uh, But the the simple answer to your question is yes. I do think there will come a time and and maybe sooner rather than later. Uh, And I, you know, I think in his heart of hearts, his father knows this. Okay. Um, when, when, When he has to strategize for a fight, I think that will be the time he needs to do it. Okay. Even if that's uh, still there and they bring in somebody else. Yeah. An old yeah. Kind of Kevin Cunningham type person who can. It's, precisely. Yeah. 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 Precisely. You know, um, you know, or even, a, you know, Angie Dundee type person who exactly. was a strategist more than he was a trainer. You right. Know? Right. Um, yeah. You know, I, I was going to ask you too, uh, a, a peer of both of ours, actually, I won't, won't mention his name, but we got to talking about uh, Brandon Lee the other night and he said, I think Ryan Garcia would knock him out. Hmm. Yeah. Right now, possibly. Garcia feels more evolved to me at this point. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I like Ryan Garcia too. Here's the difference for me (laughs) between Ryan Garcia and Brandon Lee. And I agree with you. Garcia is a little bit ahead of him right now, but Brandon Lee 
is a boxer who thinks about boxing and thinks about fighting, and that's what he does. Mm. Ryan Garcia is a boxer who thinks about how many clicks he's getting. Yeah, yeah, valid. You know? and, and I think that takes away from his boxing. Mm. Mm. Well, I'm certainly very intrigued. I want to see what happens with Brandon Lee. I feel invested in seeing how far he goes. He's one of those guys that that I'm, I'm certainly interested. And like yourself, I think part of it is knowing that he's such a charismatic guy and a likable guy, he'd be a very good standard bearer for boxing. Yeah, so no I, question. I, I'm interested to see. But um, before we, to the, the final thing to talk about Saturday night, Lordy, let's discuss what was by far the most competitive fight of the night. Amantis Stanionis beating Ratchet Bataev by split decision, which I think should have been a unanimous decision personally, but- um, I do too, I do too. But good Lord, Barry, what were those two men made of? I mean, just watching it on TV, I could almost feel the punches that they were taking on TV. But what was it like ringside? It, just as you described. Uh, it, you know, I think you and I had this discussion once before we were talking about hard punches. And I mentioned mm. to you that Mike Tyson's punches sounded different than anybody mm. else's punches. Sounded like dropping a watermelon off a building. And, and, uh, Stan Jonas's punches sounded different than anybody else. Now, they didn't sound like Tyson's, but mm. every punch, you could really hear it. It wasn't, really? there was nothing soft about it. You know, I, every punch had an edge, even his jabs. Yeah. You know, I, I had no idea, quite frankly, I, from watching, you know, videos, you can't get that real feel of how strong a guy is. And that says that much more about Bataev, you know, yes. <laughs> that he took all that. Yeah. You know, but but there was a clear difference, at least through my headsets, of the power of one from the other. And that's not to say Butayev doesn't have power. He does. Yeah. In fact, I thought if anybody got rocked during the fight, it was Stan Yonis, not Butayev. You know, so it, it just speaks to what that fight was all about. And uh, well, I don't think anybody has to hang their heads after that fight. My goodness, they're going to there. I guarantee you there are two men in still in considerable physical pain on this planet while we're talking right now and it's those we, two. we were, were saying i, I promise right? they're not listening to this podcast they right? are not their ears hurt <laughs> they've been in three-day ice baths by the time this this posts yeah. um you know it was a fascinating fight to watch i thought in that it was incredibly skillful um the 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 the, the heaviness of the punches was was clear um the toughness of both men was was clear without it like necessarily catching light and being explosive. And, and I thought, and I think you guys talked about this, that I, I made a note about how, boy, this really needed the crowd to be full. Like if this needed to be a co-main, this deserved to have crowd responding to every one of those. Abs posts. Because of Were they the not filled in at that point? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this, though. So one of the things that we chatted about a little bit, not on the air, but off the air is, was this, did just this, happen to be the two perfect opponents now what if stan yonis were to fight a guy who wants to box and stay at long range now how would that fight have gone well i'm actually quite high on stan yonis i mean first of all i was i was looking forward to this fight more than i'd been looking forward to a lot of fights because i had the feeling it was going to be something really special i think stan yonis does better in that situation than butayev did and i know that we saw butayev manhandle jamal james not very long ago right. but right. um I feel that Stanionis has, you know, it's interesting, and I'm not sure who I would liken him to, but it feels to me like he's that kind of guy who could be really technically solid. I think he's going to be very hard to beat whatever style of fighter he's up against, because I think he can box very well. 
And he, if somebody is trying to keep him at length, I think he's the kind of guy who could wear them down and make them be in front of him um, and could be really solid and effective and yet still end up with fewer knockouts than you think he's going to get. And I, I think you guys talked about this because even though he hits so hard, it's almost like he's the kind of guy who hits you so hard, you just don't want to engage very much. And I agree with you. And it's curious to me, it's going to be curious to see how he does evolve and, and how much he catches light. Um, obviously, Freddie's excited about him, and it's great to see Marvin be the, be the main trainer in, in the corner yes, there. Yes, it is. Well, Freddie had the great line. I think I mentioned this on the air. I'm not sure. But uh, Freddie said it was the second greatest moment yeah. of his career when he walked into the wildcard gym. The first being packing. Right. You know? But that this guy was the second, second biggest surprise for him walking into that gym. Yeah. You know, and, you know, the, I, the thing about him, I think that that fight fans really have to take note of is he's going to have the reputation of a brawler. But the fact is, he, he yes, he's a brawler, but he uses his jab. Yeah. You know, as well as a boxer does. Yeah. And it's a strong jab. It's not just a show me jab. I mean, his jab is as loud as his power punches. Yeah. And he looked I mean, I'd never really seen him up close before. He looked very physically strong like his legs yes. look thick as well like he yes he, he just looked like a very physically imposing guy yes yes and i mean you know he took butayev's best you know I mean, of the two of them he's gonna look worse this yeah. morning you know than than butayev will yeah he yeah. was pretty lumped up <laughs> um but yeah as you said welterweights is certainly um it's it's been a great few years for welterweights and and there's there's a lot to look ahead to as well it's also been uh, a pretty good era for heavyweights. And I wanted to pivot ahead to next week. Uh, mm -hmm. We have a pretty big uh, heavyweight fight, Tyson Fury against Dillian White. Um, a lot of the buildup lately has been overshadowed by the controversy around Daniel Kinahan, Fury's uh, uh, advisor or former advisor, to the extent that I've almost forgotten that there's, there's a fight coming up. I know that if people want to know what we're going to talk about, if we're going to talk about that on the podcast, I'm sure that Eric and I will address that when he comes back next week. But but we do actually have a fight. Um, and it's an interesting one. You know, Dillian White, I was thinking about this, almost reminds me of the sort of Jerry Quarries and Ron Lyles in the sense of, not because of style or, or, or skill level, but a, a very good heavyweight who's just having to sit outside while the very, very good heavyweights fight it out amongst themselves. He's been waiting for Tyson Fury and, and Deontay Wilder to finish their sequence for a long time. He had that one shot with Anthony Joshua, um, and, and he's had to wait a while to get this other shot. Fury, in contrast, I don't think he reminds me of anybody at no, all. No. And, I, and I really in, wanted to get your take. Boxing. Well, <laughs> that's it. And I wanted to get your take. I mean, he's just this bizarre character and an, and an intriguing character, I should say, actually. Um, and then he's this giant of a man who can fight like he did in the last two fights with Wilder, like a big giant of a man, or he can fight in a way that you'd never expect somebody of his size. Right. To right. Or he can fight like a dog. Yes. And, and I mean, I, is there anyone at all that he reminds you of, or, or is he quite unique in your experience? Completely unique to me. Mm. I, I, I haven't really thought of it until this moment, but uh, even off the top of my head, I can't think of... I can't think of a heavy, I can't think of any fighter for that matter, who, who is like him. And I think, again, you know, I mean, to me, at least, that's one of the things that makes this fight interesting to me is you just don't know who's going to show up with this guy. Yeah. Yes. You know, you really don't. 
you know, if it's the fat Tur uh, Fury who, you know, isn't really that interested, he's going to lose, yeah. you know, uh, you know, if it's the guy, the same guy that showed up for the Wilder fights, he's going to, he's going to walk all over this guy, you know, yeah. uh, I think he's got great skills. I really do, you know, uh, and I think White is capable, but, you know, if in fact you put him in that Jerry Cooney, Ryan Lyle category, it means he's going to get knocked out, right. you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, they're good enough to get to that shot, but not good enough to take that next step. And uh, that's what I fear could happen here. But again, I, th I think it's solely contingent on yeah. Fury. Yeah. You know, I mean, you just don't know. And, and you truly don't know who's going to show up on that night. Yeah. You wonder, you know, White has not really played any kind of role in the promotion of this. And, and you wonder if part of it is, I don't know, I'm, I'm speculating here, a sense that if he's not there, he's not giving Fury someone to, he's not being a foil for Fury. He's not giving him an incentive to get wound up. He's not giving him the opportunity to fixate on him. And, you know, maybe that's a bit of calculation there. Maybe Tyson, he feels that Fury needs to have that person there to work off of in the buildup so he can get into the right headspace to fight them. And maybe by denying him that, he, he's sort of going to affect Fury's headspace a little bit going into the fight. I, I don't know if there's a calculation to that effect or not. I don't, but he I don't just know. doesn't want to be involved in the promotion. I don't know. Well, yeah, and you can do that in England. There's no way in hell you could do that yes. here. You know, <laughs> right. because the promoters just won't have any part of it. They want to sell tickets, you know. Um, and, but this is the fight. Maybe he doesn't have to sell tickets. I mean, it's yeah. going to be sell out anyway, you know. So um, I don't know. I don't know a lot about Dylan White other than what I see on tape. So, but I don't know much about his personality or what he's like or, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I mean, I guess there's always that possibility and it's because of Fury, you know, that he could win the fight. I don't think if, if, if both guys are known quantities and they walk into the ring, uh, you know, at the same time or they're together to make this fight, I don't think there's any way in hell that he can win the fight. I mean, that White can win the fight. But as we said, with Fury could be anything. You don't know who's going to show up. Right. Yeah. In, indeed. All right. One thing I wanted to, actually two things I wanted to ask you about before we finish with uh, this week's podcast. Uh, last week was the, I think it's the 37th anniversary of Marvin Hagler's win over Tommy Hearns. You talked about some of the great events you've been yeah. to and how you still like vividly remember some of them. After all that time, obviously I wasn't there people that I've spoken to ringside talk about that fight in ways that those of us can who watched it on TV can't even imagine um, how it stayed with them. Do you still sort of almost viscerally remember and recall that fight? All yeah, this time you know, later? I do. And, and particularly so since it, uh, its anniversary and it started appearing on all these, you know, Facebook and all these right. different places. Uh, but yes, but I, what's interesting to me is a lot of people say that's the greatest fight there ever was. I don't think it was the greatest fight there ever was. It was the greatest round there ever was. Right. In my opinion. After that, I mean, by the end of the first round, the fight was over. Yeah. After that, Hagler just owned it. Yeah. You know. So, uh, and I don't even remember how long it went—three rounds, maybe. Three, yeah. But, no. but I know it was. You know, th there was no fight after the first round. But that first round was, and and it was one of those things. You know, sometimes you don't. You don't realize uh, the importance of an event that you're doing or of a moment that you're doing until after the fact. Um, but this one you knew. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure I said 
you know, with about 30 seconds to go in the first round, something about, and this is only the first round, you know, <laughs> something, something like that. Which, yeah. which, and, and it was, I mean, we, I, I know that I said at the end of the round, you know, that had to be, if not the greatest, certainly the greatest round in the history of boxing, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, it had to be, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, and I, it's funny, I never talked to Tommy about it after, but I did talk to Marvin about it after. And, uh, and Marvin said it just took him so much by surprise. You know, he just didn't expect Tommy to do that, you know. And I think, quite frankly, I, I'm not trying to be a mind reader for Tommy Hearns, but uh, there's not that much there to read, quite frankly. But, uh, but um, I kind of think he did almost, he went into that fight almost like, uh, like Spinks went into the Tyson fight. You know, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to try to try like hell in the first minute of the fight. And if I happen to hit him, I hit him. And I, I know I have no chance, you know, mm. so I'm going to just go for it in the first minute. I, I kind of have the feeling that maybe what what Hearns did also, you know, I, I really don't know that Hearns really felt like he could beat Marvin Hagler. Uh, uh, and it lasted for a whole round, you know, uh, although at the end of that round, Marvin was starting to have his way, mm. you know, but um I don't know that that's true. And I base that on nothing uh, other than having experienced the Spinks Tyson fight. Right. And there was an aside, there was an aside to that where uh, I had to go do a story. I actually didn't do the blow by blow of that fight, but I had to do a feature, uh, a feature story on the two of them. Uh, I think it was for, I don't even remember who it was for, but anyway, uh, it might've been just in the pre-show, I don't know. But I was up at uh, Spinks's camp was up at Grossinger's in New York. And um, um, his trainer, Eddie Futch, uh, and I were sitting, we had dinner, we did all the interviews and all that kind of stuff. And Eddie and I were sitting out on the porch and Eddie was a guy that I, I learned so much about boxing, just sitting and talking to him. It was like talking to your grandfather, you know? And, and literally he was sitting in a rocking chair you know, <laughs> on the porch, like your grandfather, you know? And although in my neighborhood, they had no rocking chairs and they had no porches. But, <laughs> but um, so I, and I asked Eddie, I said, this is, you know, after a long day, I asked Eddie, I said, uh, does he have any chance? And Eddie just went, <laughs> took his head, no. Took his head. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> and then, and then to speaks credit, he went out there and went out on his, on his shield, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And anyway, that's why I always equated that to, mm. uh, to Tommy Hearns' first round. It's funny to listen to you talk about those. It's a privilege, this gig, isn't it, sometimes? I, like uh, I was, you know, I, I think about some of the amazing moments and amazing fights that I've been ringside for, like Corrales Castilla, which I will never, oh, ever forget being ringside greatest, for. Greatest fight ever, maybe. I, I think so, quite possibly, you know, and I think about I was all the Pacquiao Marquez fights, um, Antonio Tarver knocking out Roy Jones. I just, right. it just... Uh, Lehman Brewster knocking out Vladimir Klitschko. You just think about it all. It's just, it Absolutely. is quite remarkable, actually. Not, uh, not to mention the people around the sport. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a writer, I, my wife is a writer, so I, mm -hmm. and she's always told me there's nobody she'd rather talk to than a fighter or the people around them. Yeah. And, and I'm sure this is your experience, too. One thing about fighters, you ask them a question, they look you in the eye, and they give you an honest answer. Yeah. They may be people who have never read a book in their life. But it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. it's everything you get is from the heart. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, I'm, 
that's what attracted me to the sport actually was I was going to do a book about boxers and the people around them because of the characters and and that's what kept me in boxing it was only yeah going to be like a year-long gig for me and that was whatever 20 years ago so yeah no I and I completely agree I've done you know I, I as you know I've done a million different sports and there's nobody I'd rather I I've always liked um I don't want to say the underbelly kind of guys but um like Don King, I'm probably the only person in America that likes Don King. You know? And I, because he's an honest con, hmm. you know, he's going to tell you, I'm, I'm going to steal your wallet sometime during this conversation, <laughs> you know, right. Right. and I, I, I can always appreciate that, you know, right. and, uh, <laughs> and so that's why I like boxing people because they're all like that, right. you know, right. I asked Don King one time, I said, you know, everybody says you steal from your fighters. Do you steal from your fighters? He said, absolutely. That's it. And they're still going to make more money from me than they would from anybody else. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, you got to like that. I realized yeah. maybe murdered one guy, you know, come on, give him a break. <laughs> <Who hasn't? know? laughs> but, but no, I do. I just think it's so rich. The fabric of boxing is so rich with characters. And for a writer, I, I can't imagine a better thing. And related to that, the final question that I have for you while we've got you here, and, and we may well talk to you about this uh, between now and then, but it looks as if uh, finally uh, this June, the Hall of Fame inductions will be up again after a couple yes. of years of absence. Yes. And uh, again, like going to a big fight, it's something that I certainly encourage boxing fans to go to as a, I believe, 2017 Hall of Fame inductee. Um, what can you tell people about what they could expect if they're thinking about going to a Hall of Fame induction weekend. You know, I think you just said it. If you can't go to a big fight, go to the Hall of Fame induction. Yeah. It's um, it's a one-of-a-kind event and in a very strange world. Because boxing, you know, over the course of time, used to be a mainstream sport. And you and I are not kidding each other, nor are we kidding the people right. out there listening. It's a niche sport now. You know, so when you have an event like the Hall of Fame in a small town, I think Canastota is 5,000 people. And on Hall of Fame weekend, there's like 45,000 people in the town, yeah. you know, and and fighters, as is their want, and people around boxing, they're press the flesh kind of people, yes. you know. So I swear, when I got when I got inducted, every fight fan in America was there. And not only in America, there was... I bet there were 100 people from England there. You know, I mean, true hardcore fight fans. And they all show up. And it's really kind of towny because it is a small town. Yeah. The, the museum itself is, I know people have houses bigger than that. Yes. You know? it, but, it's, but the way it's done is really terrific. The people that run it do a great job of it. Um, there's, a, there's just a lot of one-on-one -on -one moments with people that you watched on TV. And I mean, the fighters, not people like myself, but uh, you know, there's a lot of, you get to really have an idea of what a person is like spending that weekend in, uh, in Canastota. They have, a, there's a parade, you know, uh, you know, the only other times I've been in parades, I've had eggs thrown at me, you know, <laughs> there, there it's like, you know, this, it's a big deal in the town, yeah. but yet it's towny. Yes. You know, it's uh, it, it's not in a major city that can be said of the football Hall of Fame, too, for that matter, or the baseball Hall of Fame. But uh, but I think that's the charm of it. You know, uh, like the best hotel in town is I think it's a Motel 6. Right. You know, and that's where all the fighters stay, you know, right. and it's and you walk into this. They have like a little 
I don't even know what you'd call it. I can't call it a conference room because that would be way overstating it. You know, it's just a little room with a long table in it. And there's, you know, uh, candy bars and stuff laying around. And you walk into that room and there's Floyd Mayweather, you know, right. and there's Tommy Hearns and there's Sugar Ray Leonard and there's Mike Tyson, you know. I mean, it's like, a, it is a Hall of Fame in that little room in that dinky little hotel, you know. And that's that kind of just is the personification of what that weekend is like. If you can go, don't don't miss it if you're at all a fight fan. Absolutely. And, and we're actually hoping, we'll see, we're hoping we'll, we'll be doing some podcasting around that this year, especially with so many uh, classes going in at once. So uh, yeah, we have a fight up there on the Friday, on the Friday. Right. So yeah, so we'll be there. Exactly. All right, Barry, look, thank you so much for putting some time aside uh, for Filling in for Eric Raskin, who will be scurrying back to make sure he. I uh, know. I want to say to Eric, his job is absolutely safe. <laughs> uh, I'm no been... Eric Raskin. <laughs> well, you know that might be fine. I'm no Eric Raskin either, and that's okay. No, I think you got. You know, I really enjoy being on your show just because it's a it's a ton of fun, and not every show is like that. You know, where you can just kind of sit back and laugh and scratch. So you guys do a great job with this. Awesome. Well, so do you guys. I mean, I, I uh, again, I, I think that you and Raul and, and, and now Brian are, are really the best team in the business. It's uh, uh, it's 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 always a real pleasure to to listen to you guys. So I really kind of I take that as a real compliment coming from you. I really do. Yeah. Thank you so much, Barry. I really do appreciate you coming on. We will be back, Eric Raskin and I, with usual proceedings uh, next week where we'll be looking back at Fury White and looking ahead to uh, next week's fights and it will be our 200th edition of Showtime Boxing oh, with and Mulvaney I next week. you guys were that how, old. How about that? I tell you, it's uh, I'm showing it a little bit more than Eric is. But... Ah, come on. <laughs> You're a wee sprout. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's another reason why I like having you on because you are one of the few people who can say that. <laughs> Because I'm older than dirt. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much, uh, Barry. And we will be back next weekend. Until then, be safe, be kind, and be well. <laughs>